we are, as Kevin pointed out, we are going to be in 1 Peter 1 uh, more week. We're going to be in there today, then we're going to take a two-week break. Uh, we're going to focus on Palm Sunday. We're going to focus on the triumphal entry, that's what we call it, of Jesus um, and his uh, descent into Jerusalem to uh, really begin his last week of his life. And then the following Sunday, we'll be looking at, um, anybody want to take a guess what we'll be talking about on Easter? Um, the resurrection, um, that's a good good option. Uh, but today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and uh, turn there. If you follow along on your phone, go ahead and open up your uh, Bible app to do that. Um, and we... Uh, we're really, for the past month or so, we've been looking at this section of First Peter. Um, our entire series is called Longing for Home, right, that we are exiles. Uh, but this last month or so, we've been looking at this section that we've just kind of called Living Beautifully, um, that we are called to live beautifully, really starting in verses, or chapter 2, verse 9. So go back about a chapter, chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter writes, you're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Right, that that's who we are. And then he goes on to say that you are exiles and sojourners, and so you are to conduct yourself in a way that glorifies God. So as a people, as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, if we are people who have been saved by Jesus, that means that we live in a way that demonstrates the goodness of God. Right? We proclaim His excellencies through our relationships, through the ways that we live with different people. They should see Jesus through you. Right? That's what Peter is writing. That's what he's been talking about. He's talked about our relationship to government. Right? We are to be good citizens. We are to be honoring citizens even when we don't agree. Uh, we are called to be good employees. And so um, in our relationship with our boss or with our employer, we are to be hardworking and diligent. We are to be respectful. We're not to be lazy. We're not to be um, talking bad about certain people. And those two are really difficult, right? Like a relationship with, it's hard sometimes not to talk bad about um, certain political figures. It's hard sometimes not to talk bad about your boss or to decide to be lazy because they don't deserve you to work hard, right? And then last week we talked about marriage, and y'all have that one down, um, loving your spouse well, submitting to one another in love and honoring, like y'all had that one down, so I won't talk about that one too much. Uh, but in all of these relationships, what we see is that we are to live beautifully, we are to live in a certain way whether the other person deserves it or not. Whether the situation that we are in, uh, if the world will look at it as they deserve your honor, they deserve your respect. Because, what did Peter say? It's not about what they did, it's not about who they are, but it is dependent on who we are. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Right, that we are set apart, that we are exiles in this world to live as Jesus would call us to live. And so kind of what we have been looking at the past few weeks and even today, our main point is that people saved by Jesus are changed by Jesus to live and love like Jesus. You have been saved by him, that he is changing you and that your life demonstrates that you live like Jesus. And so we are exiles in this world. We don't identify 
with the things of this world, but we identify with Christ. Right? Do you realize that the word Christian actually just means little Christ? Right? So you, if you're a Christian, that doesn't just mean you go to church sometimes. It doesn't just mean that you own a Bible. It doesn't just mean uh, I, used, I grew up in the South. And so it just, just doesn't just mean that you grew up in the South. That's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is that you are a little Christ. So you should be out there living in the world as Christ, right? Be Christin. That's the verb for living like Christ. It's not. I just made that up. <laughs> this is regardless of others because it's dependent on us, not on them. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, 1 Peter. We're going to start in verse 8. And so it'll be up behind me if you want to follow along. Finally, right, he says, because of all of this, because this is who you are, all of you, right, all of you people, all of you Christians, right, uh, a couple times he talked about, hey, so slaves, be obedient to your masters. Then he said, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, be kind to your wives, right? He's talking to specific people, but now he's saying all of you, as the church, as any person who is part of this holy nation, this royal priesthood. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Peter shows us again how we are to live in a God-honoring way in this world. That in our relationships, we are to live in a certain way, but this time the relationship is the church. How are we to live amongst one another as all believers together in the same place? Okay, so what he's going to do is he's going to give us five ways to be the church. Five ways to be the church. The first one is unity of mind. Unity of mind, what does that mean? Does that mean that we all agree on everything? Lord, I hope not. Because I could go around this room right now and I could find a bunch of things that we disagree on. I can find somebody that you're sitting probably pretty close to that you wouldn't vote the same as. I can find somebody pretty close to you that has maybe hurt your feelings or wronged you in a certain way, right? We will have disagreements. But what makes us us, what makes us all of you is the fact that we are united by something stronger than any disagreement, right? Because we are united in what? What is it that we are united in? We are united in the authority of Scripture, Right, that Scripture is um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the Scripture is true without error. Right? That's what we believe, and that means that it is the authority and the um, guiding um, word of our lives, right? that we are under the authority of Scripture. That's, that's one, and the second one is that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Right? That Jesus, when he stepped down from heaven and he walked among humans, he was not a normal human. He was fully God and fully man. He wasn't just a uh, dude who knew a bunch of stuff and was a really good teacher. He was God in the flesh. And he was perfect. And he died a death that you deserved. And not only did he die a death that you deserved, but he was resurrected from the dead. Right? If there's anything that could like um, make you the person that a bunch of people want to follow, it's rising from the dead. Right? It, it, like everything that Jesus said, if he stayed dead, it's really not that big of a deal. But when he rises up, he's like, hey, do you remember what I told you? It's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to listen to this guy. He's, kinda, he's got something different going on. Right? And that is true about Jesus. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then it doesn't matter. But we are united in the fact that he did. And in that, we were given grace, we were given forgiveness and eternal life. 
because we are saved by grace through faith. So authority of scripture, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Um, We are saved by grace through faith. Nothing that you can do, no matter how good you can live, you cannot earn your salvation. It is only through the gift of Jesus on the cross. And so we live our lives to honor God, that God is the one who should receive the glory and honor. Our lives are not about us, but they're about him. So that's the gospel. Uh, That's the unifying thing that should tie all of us together. And so if there is anything that divides us as a people, as a church, why are we making that lesser thing the main thing? If the gospel is the thing that unites us, if the gospel is the thing that makes us a people, if the gospel is the thing that has changed your heart, has changed your life, has changed your eternity, how can we make something insignificant or secondary more important than what Jesus had done on our behalf? Right? When we take something lesser and we make it more important than what Jesus has done, we're saying that Christ didn't die for that. Right? If somebody offends you and you leave the church and there's a broken relationship within the church because somebody offends you or hurts your feelings or wrongs you, even if they were wrong, you are making that offense more important than Jesus dying for that offense. There should be unity of mind within the church. We're not going to agree on everything, but we need to agree on this. And that thing is more unifying than anything else is dividing. Second thing, sympathy. Sympathy, this word sympathy here means to feel with another. To feel um, the pain when someone else is having pain. To feel joy when somebody else is celebrating, right? That Paul in Romans chapter 12 verse 15, he says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's what sympathy is. Sympathy is coming along somebody else and feeling with them, feeling as they feel. And some of you in here, I know you're great at it. Some of you, if you have a friend, y'all are walking along and that friend trips and falls, you're like right there next to them. You're like making sure they didn't skin their knee. And then there's another group of people over here that are like laughing at their friend who just hurt themselves, right? I'm not going to say where I am. Um... (laughs) But I'm, I'm over there, right? I, I, do, I struggle with sympathy. This is something that as I was preparing this week, I was like, man, that's, that's hard. Do I do this? And I'm going to ask you, do you do this? Do you feel with others? Do you have um, a heart to cry with those who are mourning? Do you celebrate when other people are celebrating? That's a big one. Are you able to celebrate the wins of other people? Here's the trick. When it comes to sympathy, when it comes to feeling someone else's pain, you can't do that from an arm's length. You can't feel with somebody if you're not close to somebody. And so maybe you come to church, right? That's great. You're here today. I'm glad that you are here. But if we are just playing church and not being the church, we will never be able to have sympathy. That if you are never vulnerable enough to get close to other people, you will never be able to feel their pain. And guess what? They're never going to feel your pain. 
It's to your detriment. If we are not able to get in, to dive in, to commit to other people in a real way that gets messy and dirty and it hurts because we not only feel our pain and our struggles, but we feel the weight of everyone else's, you're never going to have sympathy. But we are called as a people to be sympathetic towards one another, to be vulnerable, to get in close. And so if sympathy is hard for you, as it's hard for me, I would ask you to figure out what causes that callousness, what causes that coldness in you that it's, that it's difficult for you. I, I pray often that the Lord would help me with sympathy. I pray that I would be, be more feeling and, and that I would be more sympathetic to those in my life, especially those ones that I'm close to. So I'd ask you to do the same thing. Ask the Lord to reveal some things to you and ask him to give you this sympathetic heart. The next one, brotherly love. So we have unity of mind, sympathy, and brotherly love. So some of you in here, you have brothers. And you're thinking, why is this on the list? Me and my brothers, we're not the example that you want to follow. See, I, I don't have brothers, but, but I believe that brothers, there's this, there's this, you know, you have differences. You butt heads. You throw heads against the wall. You do certain things that you probably don't want to do, but there's always that connection, right? They're still your brothers, hopefully. And I think when it talks about brotherly love here, it's this idea of having a strong affection for one another that makes you as close as family, right? That, that ties you together so strongly that nothing can separate you. Right? When I read brotherly love, my mind automatically jumps back to unity of mind. Right? We're going to have differences. Brothers are going to fight. They're going to punch each other. They're going to argue. They're not going to talk to each other for a while. But what do brothers also do? Hey, you can't pick on him. Only I can pick on him. Right? That's because that's my brother. We are connected. We are family. Right? We, we have a bond that is stronger than any other bond. Brothers have their disagreements, but they still love one another. As the church, we are called to have an affection that ties us together so strongly that we have a bond that cannot be separated. Right? Jesus, in, in John chapter 13, verse 35, he is talking to his 12 disciples, and he says, By this they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When we love one another well, people are going to see the love of Jesus. Because even though we disagree, we don't leave one another, we don't forsake one another. The next one, tender heart. So tender heart, think of a deep compassion or concern for one another. This is slightly different from sympathy. Right? Sympathy means to feel something. You can feel um, sorrow, you can feel joy with somebody else. But when we look at a tender heart, it's really only focused on the negative. It's really only focused on when there is heartbreak, when there is struggling, when there is a negative situation. You don't just experience it, but you feel it so deeply. It actually, the translation means in your guts. In your guts, you feel it so much that it moves you towards action. You don't just see it. You don't just sit with them and cry with them, but it moves you to help. Uh, I have a daughter who's about a year and a half. Her name's Amelia, 
And a while back when she was learning to walk, she, um, you know, she was pulling herself up onto things, right, as they do. Um, and so she's walking. She pulls herself up, up on this chair that we have, and then she begins to climb onto the chair, and the chair tumps over backwards. And so she falls forward and hits her mouth on our tile floor. And instantly, I saw blood. Instantly, you know that look that you see in a child's face right before they just start wailing, right? Like that half second of pure terror, what just happened to me, daddy help, right? Like that moment I saw that and I rushed over and I picked her up and she began to scream and cry. And so I got a paper towel and I was like wiping the blood off of her face, right? I felt it deep within my guts. As soon as it happened, right? If you're a parent, you know this, you have felt this. You have this churning, this turning within your guts and you have to jump and help, right? That is a tender heart. You have a tender heart there where you feel it so deeply that you can't help but help. That's what this is talking about. A tender heart is a willingness to bear one another's burdens. To bear with one another who are hurting um, in a tangible way. I've seen people within this church do this. I've seen some of you in this room that when others are struggling, you show up in a tangible and practical way to love those people, to help those people. And some of you have been the recipients of that. And in, in another way, the most, uh, the most uh, I guess, tender-hearted thing that we can do is not to help with a tangible way, but to go to the Lord in prayer. To have a tender heart a soft heart where you want to help, you realize that the help that people need the most is Christ. You realize that the thing that people need the most is the Lord to move in a real and powerful spiritual way in others' lives. So again, we bear one another's burdens. We bear up in prayer. Uh, Real quickly, the phrase um, one another, right? So that phrase one another, uh, whether it's love one another, bear one another's burdens, um, it's always a positive one another. That's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. That's a lot. We are called to blank one another, to love one another, to bear with one another. You can't do it at an arm's length. You can't do it if you aren't known and you don't know others. So I am pleading with you. I am again giving you an example of a reason that you should be known, that you should commit to church and not just attend church, not just show up, that we are called to be the church, not play church. The last one is a humble mind. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. All right? That's what humility means. Philippians chapter 2 says uh, basically that we are to um, seek others higher than we seek ourselves. That put others before ourselves, that when we lower ourselves, we lift others up. That's what it means to be humble. And so our primary goal as the church is to serve other people. As we come into this place, our primary goal is not man, I hope the music really makes me feel good today. Our goal is not um, that the pastor would only say things that encourages me. 
but it is that we are able to serve one another and we are to grow closer to Christ. And so we look back to being united, being a people, being a holy nation, a royal priesthood. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be disagreements within the church. So when we look at humility, how do you respond when there's conflict? Because I've seen this in my own life, and I'm just going to guess that you can see it in your life. Oftentimes, your rightness, not the other person's wrongness, is the biggest detriment. Because when we live life together, you are going to be wronged. People are all sin- Everyone in here is a sinner. So that means that other people are going to wrong you. Other people are going to do things that offend you and hurt you. But how do you respond? Do you respond as Christ would call us to respond? Or do you respond fighting yourself, defending yourself, and being firm in your rightness? Because oftentimes being firm in your rightness instead of forgiving that person for their wrong 